We're going to continue our series in Hebrews tonight as I limp around the stage here. But look, no crutches tonight, y'all. See that? Thank you, Jesus. No crutches. <laughs> There's some pity, pity claps, but it's okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm old. I need it. Um, so as we walk through Hebrews, we're in Hebrews chapter 4 tonight, verses 8 to 13. If you guys want to open up in your Bibles there with me. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you, though, before we read that passage, what is your favorite superpower? If you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? Raise your hand. Let's see. Like anybody? Right here. Teleportation? That one's awesome. Did you have one? Same one? Everybody wants to teleport? Anybody else? I can't see hands, so just yell it out if you have something. Flying, Flying is awesome. Who wouldn't want to fly? What else? Super strength? Yes, yes. Is that it? Everybody's just content. Super speed. Someone wants to be the flash back there. Nobody said x-ray vision. X-ray vision's awesome. Yeah. Say it. Shape-shifting? <laughs> you want to be a spy. All right, that's awesome. So when I was little, I like thought x-ray vision was unbelievable. Like it was awesome. You could see everything, locate anything. Like you never lose anything because you could find it. And I was like, Superman, every time he did the whole x-ray vision thing, shh. It was like, dude, that's so cool. I want to do that. So, yes, I wanted to fly, but I just thought x-ray vision was, like, really cool. And so, like, I'd be eating dinner. Did your mom ever tell you, like, carrots would give you, like, really good eyesight? Anyone, like, ever hear that? If you eat all your carrots, your eyes will be really good. I don't even know if that's really true. My mom wouldn't just say that. She always went above and beyond, and she was like, it will give you x-ray vision. And I was like, oh, so I ate so many carrots, I turned orange, like just trying to get x-ray vision. And I went to chapel because I went to Christian school for a few years. And I went to chapel in this Christian school one day, and there was like a, a speaker up there. And for some reason, he was being real goofy, and he told everybody, you guys can try this with me. This is what he told us to do. He said, take your finger and then put it up in front of your eye. Close your left eye. Now put your finger up in front of your right eye. Now open both eyes. And look through your finger. Can you see through it? Yes, right? You can see through your finger. It's like x-ray vision. I was like, what in the world? So this dude proved to me, and I, I honestly believed it, because like, I just kept doing it like, oh my goodness, I didn't know. The, all the carrots actually paid off, and I got x-ray vision. I thought it was the coolest thing for the longest time until I realized that isn't really how it works. You have two eyeballs. But I thought it was x-ray vision. I thought it was awesome. And tonight's passage amazes me because it talks about Jesus having this incredible power, and his word has this incredible power. It's basically like x-ray vision, but so much better, right, in this bigger spiritual way. So it captivates my attention, but let's read it together real quick, and you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, Starting in verse 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
And so as we're still walking through this kind of example that the author of Hebrews has been using the people of Israel as they were like basically kicked out into the wilderness and they just wanted to enter the promised land and have this rest that God promised, their own homes and gardens and a place to live, their own nation, and they were waiting on it. But because of their own unbelief, they weren't able to go in. They're like, no, we can't take this land. And God's like, listen, you you guys are going to have to stay out now. And so as he's using that example, what he says here is he continues it. If Joshua had given them rest, okay, if this thing had just happened, if they had just been like in the middle of their disobedience and lack of faith, if it had just been given to them, imagine. Imagine what legacy would have been left. Go ahead. You don't have any faith, but enter into the promise anyway. Enter into the rest. Get a reward for something that doesn't really exist in your heart. Imagine what a disaster that would have been. You know, these people looked to Joshua and Moses and, and all these other guys, Abraham, and they, they saw them as these great figures that could do all this stuff, right? And they're like, man, they are men of faith, but yet the people themselves, they were lacking faith. The very guys they were looking up to and like kind of idolizing like superheroes, like they didn't have the same type of faith. And so it's interesting that we still do that today. We look at people we look at pastors, we look at people from the Bible, we look at friends that are walking with Jesus, or maybe it's a parent for you, I don't know. But people in our lives are these role models, and we think, man, I can ride their skirt tails. You know, mom and dad love Jesus and go to church, so I'm kind of just like part of that wave. I'm just going to ride the wave, even though my heart has no faith in it. I go to church, and you know, I hang out with my youth pastor or my, my life group leader, and they love Jesus a lot, and so I'm going to just kind of ride their wave of faith, but there's really no faith in my heart. What a disaster that would be for your heart, for your life. Like these people would just say, it's, just, it's about Joshua, it's good enough, and then have no faith in their own heart. Imagine the blessings they would have missed out on. Imagine the blessings we miss out on when we try to just depend on other people's faith, instead of really knowing Jesus, like, do you know how good it is to really know Jesus? If you're depending on someone else's relationship with him, then you don't know. And I'm telling you right now, you're missing out because it is the greatest thing in the world to know Jesus, to be able to trust him and have a heart full of faith that says, Jesus, whatever I face, you're there. Wherever I go, that's where you're taking me. Jesus, I trust you. There is this rest and this peace that comes with knowing Jesus that personally, being able to trust him that personally. That's the rest he's talking about. He says this, God would not have spoken later about another day. If like if this rest that they were looking forward to, this entering the land, was the only rest that, that they were actually talking about, then later, God wouldn't have talked about this other rest, this other day that was coming, this future rest that he wants to give us. You know what that future rest is? It's when Jesus went to a cross. It's when Jesus died and went and was buried for three days and rose again. So that when you place your trust in Jesus, this is that future rest that was promised. It was bigger than just Israel entering the promised land. It was salvation itself. It's eternal life and eternal rest at the right hand of God. 
Do you want to know where you're going when you die? Place your faith in Jesus. You want to know what's going to happen? Trust Jesus. And you can rest in the fact that death isn't going to stop you. Sin cannot bring punishment on you anymore. You have been freed from those fears, and you can rest in the fact that Jesus did what he said he was going to do if you place your trust in him. That's where you find this future promised rest. You see, unfortunately today, a lot of people are preaching some other stuff. They're talking about this rest, this blessing that we get, and it's so physical. It sounds more like the people of Israel entering the promised land, right? Like, if you're a Christian, and pray for blessing. Pray for finances and lots of money and nice houses, and God will bless you and take care of you and give you stuff, give you wealth, give you health. And listen, God wants the best for you. That's absolutely true. But following Jesus doesn't guarantee that you're going to be rich and wealthy and never be sick. That's just not true. There will be times that you will suffer for the gospel. There will be times when life comes in and storms come into your life, but the promise is that Jesus will be with you through all of it. The rest comes knowing that no matter what comes your way, Jesus is right there helping you, walking you through it. But we get our eyes so fixed on stuff. Man, if I follow Jesus, I'll get straight A's because I'm going to pray for those straight A's and I'm going to marry the right person and date the right person and have all this awesome stuff. And like we have our, our physical list of things prayer requests for Jesus. What does your list look like? What kind of things are you asking Jesus for? Are you just looking for a promised land to go build a house in? Or are you saying, heaven is my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I want Jesus more than I want anything else. I want my family to know Jesus. I want my friends to have a relationship with Christ. I want my heart to have more faith in it. Are we praying like that? Praying for treasures that are eternal, that'll last forever. Is that what's on your heart? Is that what you're praying for? Because the rest he's promising is so much bigger than the little things of this world that we could ask for. Then he says this, he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's not already over because the people of Israel finally got into their promised land. It didn't end. There's something, there's this promise, this future promise coming where we'll have rest. He's talking about the salvation that I just mentioned. There'll come a day when our flesh doesn't pull on us anymore, right? To sin, this temptation that we're constantly battling and like fighting off sin and temptation and trying to do the right thing. There will be a day where you can finally rest from that. And the thing you will want and desire the most is Jesus. You'll want to live in his glory. You'll want to follow him. There will be this perfect unity between you and Christ where sin no longer affects you and pulls on you and you can just, you can just rest. Do you experience those times in your life? Are you able to face sin and say, listen, I have Jesus in my life. Look at this temptation and say, Jesus is better than you. I don't want you anymore. I want Christ. Does your relationship with Jesus look like that where you're able to start having these like wars, these holy wars against sin and temptation and all this stuff that's trying to pull you into what's wrong? Are you starting to be able to say like, I have rest because I know Jesus and I don't need you anymore. I don't want you anymore. I want you gone out of my life. 
Jesus provides that if you're trusting in him and resting in him. And if you're not, maybe you need to go before Jesus and say, look, I need need to place my heart at your feet. I'm not experiencing rest like that. Sin is grabbing me and dragging me to the depths every single time. Like sin and temptation beat me and win every battle. Then maybe you need to go to Jesus and truly lay your heart down and say, Jesus, I want you. I want you to give me that rest. I want you to change me from the inside out. I want to be able to trust you so when the battle comes, I can go, I don't want you anymore. I have Jesus. And you can rest in the strength of Jesus instead of your own power to fight temptation. Verse 10 says, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. How great would it be to be able to just stop trying to please God? To be able to stop trying to like work really hard and do the right things and behave a certain way just because you're hoping God will look down and not be mad at you. You're hoping that God will be pleased with you because you're doing the right thing and you're, you're constantly trying to check these things off your list to impress people and God and your church and your pastor and your families. And there's all this pressure and anxiety that builds up in you. But for what? Because Jesus has already looked at you and said, I've done the work. I've already died for you. I've already paid for your sin. Now you can rest. He tells us right here that Jesus himself is now resting from that work. He's done. He finished it. He paid the price. He died. He rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's resting. And so guess what you get to do? You get to rest from this list of works and law and rules that you think would might maybe please God. Maybe just make him happy enough to forgive you. That's not true anymore. What it takes now is a heart that says, Jesus, I can't do it. I'm broken. You see, we have to be able to admit that we're actually broken. When our heart is full of pride, we have to actually be able to look at Jesus and say, I have to just admit there's pride in here I don't want people to know about. I don't even want to admit it myself. There's this sin that I'm struggling with that I just keep pretending I'm not. There's this, and we take those things and we just say, Jesus, I can't. I can't fight it alone. I'm not strong enough alone but you already beat it and you're sitting down. I want to sit with you. just want your forgiveness to wash this sin away. I want to rest in the fact that you love me and let that change me. Enough trying to work. Enough trying to please him. More faith. More trust. More following after Jesus out of a heart that loves him instead of some obligation to do certain behaviors. Jesus, just let me be with you. Attract me more than this sin attracts me. It's awesome when we're finally free to just love him. Instead of worrying about behaviors, we just love Jesus. And all of a sudden that stuff pops out of us. We change, right? It's called fruit. You fall into love with Jesus as he's in love with you. And because you're with Jesus, you start to notice my behavior is changing but it's not because I worked really hard to do it. It's because Jesus rubbed off on me. Spending time with him is making me more like him. Jesus is like love in my heart and the faith he's putting in my heart is changing the way I behave. I'm different now and it's because of Jesus, not because of anything I've worked really hard to do. That's called rest. The fruit just comes out because of who your king is now. 
Verse 11 says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. It almost sounds confusing. Like now he's talking about effort and like being able to like get in there without like perishing. But what the effort he's talking about is faith. It's not works. This effort he's talking about is saying, like lay your heart at the feet of Jesus. Lay it all down there so you can actually experience the rest and not be like the people of Israel who were so close. They're like right up on the border, the line of their land about to go in. And because they didn't have the faith in their heart and they wouldn't lay it down at God's feet, they were like, God's like, no, you can't come in. And you know that some of y'all tonight, I bet there's somebody here tonight that's right at the line. The fact that you're in church tonight tells me that. You're so close to the gospel of Jesus, the good news that can save you, that faith in your heart that can change your entire life and eternity. And yet, what will you do as you stand on the edge of that line? Will you reject him and just like forget faith? I'm just going to do this myself and never be able to enter the rest. Or will you look and say, I want to go in. I want to know Jesus that way. I want to be forgiven. I want rest tired of this sin in this life, and Jesus finds you with faith in your heart saying, Jesus, I can't do it. Will you do it for me? And then he says, come on in. Enter that rest. Let me do what I'm good at doing and what I promised you I would do. Then he says this in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. Like, I don't know how you look at God's word, even as we read it tonight. You might think it's some like boring old book full of stories, and you're like, what does that even mean? Like, this is boring to read. I don't even like reading. But what this tells us here is that God's word, the Bible, is alive and it's active. It's not just a bunch of boring dead stories and words on a page that can't move. God's word is this living thing, and when God speaks, it changes things. God spoke all of existence into existence. (laughs) Like even a phrase, right? Everything that is here is here because God told it to be. His very word makes things come alive. And God's words are written down for us. They're so powerful and they are alive and they're active. And you know what? When you listen to them and obey them and take them into your heart, you know what they do? They change you. That's why we're always like, hey, read your Bible. It's not because we want you to be like, do some boring thing on the weekend. It's not like homework assignments we're trying to give you. It's because we know if God's living active word gets in here, it's going to transform your life and your eyes are going to get real big. And you're going to be like, what in the world just happened to me? Because that's how powerful God's words are. And when they get into you, they change you and they make you different and better and they grow you and you look up and you're like, how did I become who I am today? And the answer, God's word's been working out. It's been changing. And it says this next about it. It says, sharper than any double-edged sword. This is a Greek word. And it doesn't mean like samurai sword big. Like it's not this big, huge, double-edged samurai sword But this actually refers to a small dagger, just this little teeny dagger. And this dagger was used in combat to be very specific. Mostly they would jab right at the heart. 
and a warrior would use it to kill with very, very specific motions, kill their opponent on the battlefield. Now, he could have used the, the word for that big old sword, just kind of swipe all over the place. It seems powerful, but there's more power in this very specific, tiny little dagger. Because what it does is it, it goes right to the root. This little teeny cut with this perfect precision, and that's God's word. It knows the parts of your heart that need surgery. It knows the parts of your heart that need to be cut out. It goes right for it, and it doesn't just hack you to death. It goes in, and it cuts around. It gets right to the cause. That's how God's word is. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You've been reading through God's word, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just drops this like, ton of bricks on your head as you read a passage, and you're like, oh my goodness, like God is speaking to me right now. Maybe you've been sitting in a, in, in a sermon or, or a church service, and a pastor's read something from the Bible that's just hit you, and you're just like, whoa, that's exactly what's going on in my life right now. That's, God's word is so specific. It's like this dagger that goes right after exactly where it needs to go. You know, I was amazed when I had knee surgery just a couple weeks ago. The way they did it was I have these two little teeny tiny holes. That's it. That's all they made. There's like almost no scar on my knee. And in one hole, he put like this thing that was like actually does the cutting and the stitching and all that stuff, this little tool. And in the other hole, there's this camera that goes in there. And he can see everything in my knee as he's doing this outside of my knee. And it was able to like go in there and do this whole surgery and not even open my knee up at all. Just these two little teeny holes. It went straight in and went right to the root of the problem. And it's amazing that we can do that today. And it makes me think of this passage like God doesn't have to just come up and start hacking us open. He knows already exactly what you're struggling with. God sees directly into you. And today as you sit here tonight, everybody else might be fooled. They might see a smile on your face when really inside you are so depressed and discouraged and feel so hopeless. You might be struggling with some sins that are kicking your butt and as much as you try to fight them, they just keep winning. And you've got everyone else fooled. But you know what? God looks directly into you and he doesn't do it in this judgmental way. He does it with a heart of love that says, let me get in there. Let me tackle that piece of your heart that needs to get fixed. Let me do some surgery in there with this pointed, accurate tool, this knife that will just cut away the ugliness and fix the sin and repair you in ways I need to repair you that only I can do. And you might need to just say, listen, I've got everyone else fooled God, but I know you see it. And I know you love me. Tonight, will you just do it? Will you just take those ugly pieces that are kicking my butt? And will you do surgery on my heart? Will you fix these things and restore me, make me look more like you? And it says this. It says that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's hard to point out like the dividing line between your soul where your soul stops and your spirit starts. Like that's a really tricky concept to like figure out, but God knows exactly where that is. Like the difference there between soul and spirit, just like your joints and your marrow and your body, everything's so interconnected. Everything's so like attached. It's hard to figure out where one begins and another stops. And what it's saying is God knows exactly your motives. He knows what's flesh. And he knows what's spirit. 
But a lot of times we see each other and we don't really know. Like, it might seem like, hey, man, you get up and lead worship every week, and I see you do this at your church you go to, and you're always talking about Jesus, and it seems like you're real spiritual and you're doing really well with Jesus. That's what we see. But I wonder if sometimes when we're like that, God's actually looking in being like that. All of that is this big mask. It's a disguise that you're wearing. And I know our relationship because I'm right here. And I don't don't see you coming to me with a heart that's repentant. I don't see you showing up in the mornings on your knees in prayer to talk to me and spend time with me. I don't see you taking your pride and just throwing it to the ground. I don't see those things, but everyone else sees this super Christian person walking around. But that's not what I see. And I can, I can see the difference between the spiritual and the flesh. And I just, does God see a person that's controlled by the flesh when everybody else thinks they're controlled by the spirit? We might be able to fool each other, but you cannot fool Jesus. And he wants the best for you. He wants you to know him in such an intimate, personal way that you can trust him and know, God, you've always got my back. It says that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This word judges, it can be translated as like, that. it's like a discerner, it's like this critic, like able to honestly look and decide the truth about a thing. That's how God sees us. He's able to look at your heart and honestly decide the truth. He knows the truth about what's actually inside there. Like he can see right into you. I know I've been talking about like this whole deal with like x-ray vision and how awesome it is. This is a part where it's just so cool that God can literally look through all my junk and see me for who I am. He looks straight through all my facades and fake like behaviors. And he's just like, I know the real Rob Jones. Good, bad, or ugly, like it's all in there. He can see it. Some of you guys know um, this lady named Holly Kennedy. She used to be a secretary here, worked at Firehouse. She's still around our church. She's awesome. But Holly, she had this little dog that she bought, and it was like probably this big. It was, I guess it was a dog. It was this tiny little fluff of a thing. I think it's still alive, maybe. Does anyone know? I'd be really sad. Anyway. Um, it was just like this little circus dog that could do crazy tricks and like all this stuff. And I remember when she first got it, it was a puppy. It was even smaller, but it was, it was insane. It was like a, a crazy dog. And so she would do all these cool things, but then like all of a sudden she got like real sick just out of nowhere. And she was like feeling terrible and they thought she was going to die. So they rush her to the vet and they do this uh, x-ray on her and what they find inside, listen, what they found inside this dog, they found a that its body was full of BBs, like from a BB gun. Just all these little BBs were like full in its stomach. And then they found one of its play toys, like lodged in there next to the BBs. And then up by its neck, it had like three fish bones that somehow ate that were like lodged in its like throat. This dog was just full of garbage. Literally had just eaten everything it could find and had just filled up with all the stuff and it was about to kill it. And so as they look in there, they could see these things. Like, that's terrible. The dog lived. They were able to, like, save it. And I think it's still alive today. Am I wrong? Does anyone know in the back? No? Anyway. It is? Okay, so it's still alive. See? The doctor was able to help because he was able to see inside and see the junk. And I just wondered tonight how much junk you got in you. 
we were to be honest to Jesus, like he's looking in right now. He sees us. What is he seeing when he looks in there? Is he finding a bunch of garbage in our hearts and our minds? Are we just playing Christian? Just pretending to be like these like church people? Or is there a real thriving relationship between you and your savior, Jesus Christ? Where he wants to reach in and take all that garbage and pull it out and say, have a real relationship with me. Take your faith and actually trust me tonight. Enough games, enough faking it, just actually take this step of saying, Jesus, I'm following you with everything I am. In the last verse we're looking at, verse 13, it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows everything. And this, the wording here is talking about these wrestlers that would literally um, pin each other down in a way where they would like be on top of the other wrestler and you would be forced to see like face to face as you're pinning the other wrestler down. So not only are they being beat, right? and the countdown's happening, but they have to look you in the eyes as you're winning and beating them and having victory over them. Like that had to be so humiliating, right? To like be in a position like that. But it's good when God's word grabs us like that and holds us down, basically just like staring us in the face, causing honesty in our hearts because the thing we need most is to admit it. We need to look at God and admit our sin. We need to see it for ourselves so that we'll fall on our knees and know why we're doing it, why you need to actually fall on your knees tonight, because you're broken. Because you can't find salvation by yourself. And so God's word holds us down and makes you look him in the face and says, you need me more than anything else. Will you surrender tonight? I've been acting like a Christian for like 15 years now. Good for you, but have you actually had a relationship with Jesus? You actually looked at him and surrendered all your heart and life and said, God, I want to be yours. This other term that it uses in that verse there is talking about this, like a criminal as he sits in court in a trial. What they would do in ancient days is that that, that criminal would be tied up into the chair in the court. And right underneath him, they would take this dagger and they would tie it in a way that it was right up underneath his chin so that if he looked down, it would literally cut him and kill him. And it forced him to look up at the jury or the people that he was on trial with and look at them eye to eye. He couldn't turn his face away. He was forced to look at them. And that's, that's the word that's used here to describe what the Bible does, what God's word does to us. Before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God wants us to look him in the eyes tonight. And just be honest. He's not trying to stick his finger in your face and make you feel shame. He actually wants to take your shame and put it on himself. He wants to take your embarrassment and your pride. 
all the disgusting stuff of your life. He wants to take it and wear it so you don't have to. But you need to stare him in the face and admit you have it and say, Jesus, I need you tonight. I need you to fix my broken. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? The band's going to lead us in some more songs. And as they come up here, will you just, over this next song, would you ask God that he would point out those parts of your heart tonight that you need to give up, those areas that you need him to just come in and do surgery on and fix? And here's what you need to ask him. Ask him to give you the courage to admit it, to look him in the eyes and say, Jesus, this is here, this is real, and I'm tired of hiding. I want you to do some work in my heart tonight.